friends, Christy Teji here, your host for the Productive Passions Podcast. Let me ask you, is there something different you dream of doing, but don't know where to begin? If you're feeling suffocated, anxious, or you feel there's something different calling you, come along with me for candid conversations with people who have embarked on a journey to put their passions to work for them. Buckle up and enjoy the ride. Life is too short to stay stuck. Hi, friends. Welcome to today's episode, where we take a deep dive into the transformative journey of a man who evolved from a self-described skinny project kid to a senior chief in the U.S. Navy. Troy Johnson II opens up about his poignant battle with suicidal thoughts and attempts, participation in therapy, and his pivotal decision to embrace life fully until his, quote, natural expiration date. In the opening moments, you'll understand why this is so very personal to me. Join us as we explore his multifaceted roles as service member, business owner, son, husband, father, and friend, and discover how he channeled his passions to create an extraordinary path forward. Troy, first of all, thank you. Welcome and thank you for joining me today. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Y'all don't know this is my aunt. How they put it out there. Don't let the complexion fool you. We both, she's like scared. (laughs) (laughs) But I appreciate you reaching out to me. Sorry, I've been at a distance for almost 18 years. So I've been living here in Virginia Beach, but I am happy to be a guest. I do appreciate that. And we don't have video up, but we're both chuckling because I am about as white as you could get. (laughs) And Troy is opposite of me. And he is my nephew. I love him dearly. So I do appreciate him doing this. I asked him to be a guest because of what he brings, what he's done, his experiences, and where he is now. Troy, in your words, how would you describe yourself? I'll say I'm just me. Because I don't know who else to be. The best way to sum up who I am is I am me. I'm grateful to just be me now. So I gave a little bit of an introduction about what you do, but I know there's a lot more. So can you give us a little bit more about your service and about the other things you do? Because on this show, Productive Passions, we talk about people being brave enough to follow their passion. So you have a regular job that you have to go to every day, but Mm -hmm. you really have followed your passions and not one time, but multiple times. So can you tell me about those things? What are those things that you did and what gave you the courage to go figure these things out? So I've been in the Navy coming up on 18 years. I am a E8 senior chief in the Navy. So I'm pretty high up there. The highest you can go on the enlisted side is E9. So I'm E8. And I tell you, it's been a journey. It's been a blessed journey. I've allowed myself to take on a lot of the jobs and positions that no one wanted to take. I didn't allow myself to cruise in this career. So I've enjoyed the ride. I'm ready for it to be over. I'm not going to lie. But I've learned so much and I've networked so much. I do photography. So I do run my own photography business. That was also a passion of mine that I picked up while I was in high school. So now I do that as a side business while I'm in the Navy. And I use the Navy as a primary network in order for me to gain my clients. But now I have a reach, but I do photography. And of course, I do fitness. Fitness was something that came after I got married, after I had my first son. But it was a means of 
just self-improvement. So it started off as just working on myself, getting my physical and my mental and spiritual being improved. It's something about the natural teaching that I have and, and wanted to influence and mentor and inspire people that led me to get into fitness training. I've seen some of your fitness training videos and mm-hmm. it's no joke. You're really taking people through not just a little bit of exercise, not just talking about the importance of fitness, but taking people through specific exercises, doing mm-hmm. them properly and the reason behind doing those exercises, correct? Yes. On that, I try to, from a philosophy standpoint, I try to get people to not look at exercises, just exercise. Then I have a philosophy that ties into how you should be looking at fitness. It's more than just going in the gym and not going to have some exercise. It's more of a mindset mentality that you kind of have to adopt in order to really take grasp of my type of physical training and fitness training. Okay. And besides the music and fitness, you also write. I am a writer. Yes. So far, I've written three books. I am working on a fourth one right now, but I kind of stepped back a little bit on the writing side because I do so much more talking now. It's like, I don't really have time to sit down and like pour out my thoughts because I'm just like speaking, speaking, speaking more. What are you speaking about? Everything, everything, especially being a leader at work. So that anyone that I could connect with to help them improve something, because to me, it's not always about the job. You know, and some people need to know that, hey, you should focus on these other things in conjunction with your career. If you don't have yourself together mentally, personally, I don't expect you to be fully engaged mentally, professionally. So there's these other elements that I want you to focus on. So I'm talking. I'm connecting, I'm teaching, I'm mentoring. I'm doing a lot of it on the daily. I want to go back to something you just said that's really impactful. You said, if you're not together mentally, emotionally, you said it better. Then how can I expect you to do a good job basically at work? I think as a leader, that is a gift. If you could recognize that and address that with someone, that truly is patience and leadership. Mm-hmm. Most places you go to work, they're not going to spend time with you on how you doing today. How are you emotionally? Where are you mentally? No, you got to show up and you got to do work for eight hours and you get out. That other stuff, that's not my problem as your boss. That's something you need to deal with. If you don't mind as a leader, share with me what that means. What might you say to someone? What might you have said to someone in the past? to help them and not just like buck up, man, do your job and then go home and deal with that stuff at home. Back when I was on the junior sailor side, I was one of the guys that had to follow. We all follow someone, but you're one of the worker bees. So I'm the one that has to go out and do the work. But now I'm on the other side where I'm the guy that makes sure the work get done. I cannot forget where I came from. That's one thing. I got to remember how the sailors felt when they were on the deck plates. I had to remember how these guys felt when they were going through these trying times because there are days where the job gets difficult. There's days where things get tough, especially around this time, the holidays. Mm -hmm. I literally had a conversation with these guys last week. It was like, hey, you know, 
I know they don't talk about it as much, but I want you guys to know that, hey, I understand how the holidays could be impactful on the mental health, especially like if you're away from family, you're away from any loved ones, you might have experienced loss or you might be going through something and you just don't feel like talking about it, don't feel like you have anyone you can come talk to. The first thing I had to be as a leader is transparent. I had to let them know I deal with my own struggles, but I want you to know that, hey, I want to bring back the human factor. The uniform kind of takes away the human factor Mm -hmm. a little bit because there's like an expectation that comes with being in uniform. Putting it on, sure. The first thing as a leader, you just got to be transparent and let these people know, hey, I'm just as human as you are. I make mistakes just like you. I feel the way you feel. I've had tough times. I've gone through things. I wanted to make sure that they, one, understood that, but two, hey, you can come talk to me. Here's what I've dealt with. Do you feel like when you do that, that that strengthens your relationship with the people you are leading? Or does that, okay, I wanted to know that because I think one of our challenges as leaders is that fear of having people who report to you see you as weak or see you as not always strong, um, in command, in charge. It sounds like you're spending time not only talking about, you know, everybody has challenges, but hey, this is real life. You have them too. Right. When we talk about leadership, we talk about how you get people to follow you. First of all, you're not a leader unless somebody follows you. That's the first thing. You could be a good leader or a bad leader. Someone has to follow you in order for you to lead, first and foremost. Second of all, the direction you want them to go when you're actually leading them, to me, is, is important because I can tell you in the Navy, you follow me because of rank, right? But it doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to get the best out of the person that's following me. So direction and direction and how you lead them to me is very important. So for me, I'm one of those guys that I'm out there on the deck plates with you. I'm out there with you. I'm showing you what and how I want things done. I'm showing you that I can do this job as well. Now I'm going to train you on doing it how I want you to do it. You know, I'm one of those type of leaders. I'm not like, hey, get this, 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 this done. I make sure there's an understanding of what needs to be done, how it needs to be done. And if there's a time I need to sit down and make sure that it's fully understood or give you more training or direction, I'm one of those hands-on types of leaders. I don't sit in an office. I don't like sitting in an office and leading from my chair. I cannot lead from my chair. It doesn't work for me. I have to be engaged. In your book, Not Just Another Sailor, Mm -hmm. you talk about being open. And it reminded me of something that I say frequently and I believe in strongly. Mm -hmm. I say it this way. I say, I commit to candor with kindness and respect. That means Mm -hmm. to me that if I have an issue, I'm going to come tell you about it, but Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be disrespectful. I'm not going to be rude. Mm -hmm. I'm going to handle it delicately, but I'm going to come to you. What I've seen in my career is a lack of this candor. Mm -hmm. Either that or the word candor is used to give people permission to sort of beat other people over the head. And that's not acceptable. Mm -hmm. When I say candor with kindness and respect, that means I'm going to come to you in kindness and share what my issue is with you and then listen to you. What I have found, what I have seen, people are so afraid to do that, right? 
mm-hmm. don't want to say, hey, I have an issue with you. Mm-hmm. We don't say it because we don't like conflict and mm-hmm. we don't want to hurt other people's feelings. Mm-hmm. So by avoiding that, by avoiding the conversation, I'll sit here and I stew about it and I get mad at you. And you mm-hmm. have no idea that I'm mad at you. Mm-hmm. And everything you do just drives me crazy and you have no way of knowing it. What we tell ourselves about how that conversation is going to be is I got to say, I've never had a time where it wasn't in my mind worse than the actual conversation. So 100% of the time, the anxiety created around approaching somebody is so much more than the actual situation. And you talk about that. You talk about as a leader, you've got to have those conversations. And your experience with people who would avoid those conversations because they want to avoid confrontation. Mm -hmm. How do you approach that? How do you find the courage to approach somebody who maybe not as junior to you, maybe equal or even higher to say, hey, we got an issue here. And especially in a place like the Navy. It took a long time for me to be able to do that because culture of a command or a workplace environment may not always be conducive to allow for someone to be able to go and be open like that or even communicate like that, right? It starts with the people that's around you. Like I really had to take a look at how we are as a culture, where we are currently, and then where I feel like we should be culturally. Once I figured out where we were, I started at the bottom and I started talking to the junior guys. I got to get their buy-in. I got to get them to trust me, right? I got to be able to call BS when it's BS, even if it's from my level. If I see something wrong, I have to call it out. I give an example because I actually just had to do this a couple of weeks ago. I have to, one, socialize with everyone. I have to socialize with everyone. Whether I'm comfortable doing it or not, I have to find the courage within myself to just socialize. And it could be something as simple as, hey, what's your name? Mm-hmm. Where are you from? You know, just basic, basic sure. conversations. Then I get into questions or how do you like it here? How long have you been here? How do you like it here? What are some things that you see could be different? What would you like to see change in the department, in the division, in the command, at the workplace? And I kind of do that with everyone. I'll talk to everyone, get an idea. You know, I have a conversation with the leadership, get an idea how they currently run the workplace and just get a feel for it. And in doing so and talking to all those different people, you probably get a lot of similarities along the way. People may say things differently, but you're really gauging the culture that you're coming into. You even get a sense, like, because of my position, they're not going to tell me everything. You ask the question, but then you got to know when to fall back and just let things play the way it's going to play. So I've dealt with that as well. It don't even have to be about work. It could be about something they saw on TV or whatever. They could be joking around. It's knowing how to engage and interact with them on their level. Once I get that, then it's when I start getting that, I can start pulling them in. I can start getting more and more out of them. Because initially going in, having those conversations with them, you're only going to get bits and pieces. The more time you spend and the more you kind of come down to where they are, meet them where they at, then you start to get more and you see more. So as they're pouring, as they're giving me more, I uno reverse that and I start pouring into them. I love that. I was writing some notes when you were talking and I've got a couple things. 
So when you're coming into a new situation, which a lot of leaders do, right? You mm-hmm. go to a new department, you go to a new company. You mm-hmm. can't just come in and start telling everybody what to do, right? Correct. So what I hear you saying is that you come in, you kind of sit back a little bit, you listen, you gauge what the culture is currently, mm-hmm. and then you start to engage with coworkers, with yeah. people higher and lower than yourselves. And you begin to gain trust. You start having conversations. They're beginning to trust you. So you could begin to influence. But you're also getting their buy-in, which is critical. And something that you said that I think is important is you ask them, what could be better? How could that be better? You're right. That gets buy-in. But also, here's where I've used this. Now, you've helped create solutions to the problems you've identified. Exactly. Exactly. As a leader, if I say, here's how we're going to work on those things, and they're your idea, then you're bought in, right? Because you Mm -hmm. want your idea to succeed. You complained about it, or maybe not complained, you shared concerns about it, and you shared a potential solution. And now I'm going to ask you to help me make that solution work, or a variation of that solution, or, you know, again, get more team members involved in the conversation around the problem. Because if one person has a problem with it, there are probably others. And they probably have ideas how to fix it. Mm -hmm. So instead of coming in and beating people over the head with, this needs to be different. You need to do this this way. You need to change this. If you get their buy-in and you get them to talk about what needs to change and how it can change, it sounds to me like you've had success with that approach. Every time it becomes a project, especially for those that are like up and coming. Because in my position, I train leaders to be leaders, right? In my position. Before the position I'm in now, there was a time where I was training those junior guys to step into senior leadership position and make sure that they're ready for what's to come in leadership. I have to explain to them is like, don't let rank dictate your capability and ability to lead. Your pay grade does not dictate leadership. It doesn't. Your ability to lead, your ability to influence, your ability to make an impact and make changes and get those around you to follow you is what makes you a leader. So So you've been in for 18 years. Yes. Did it take you 18 years to figure that out? No, it did not. I was doing it. I was doing it since I was an E2. It started at E2. It actually started before that. It started well before I even joined the Navy because throughout middle school. Matter of fact, throughout elementary on up through high school, through college, I was placed in positions where I had to lead something, right? Whether it was in band, I was band captain or drum captain. Whether it was between my siblings, my dad said, hey, I'm the oldest, so I'm the one that's in charge, right? So y'all have to listen to what I say. I've been in those leadership positions. That might've been micro, but those were still training opportunities that I've gotten in positions I've gotten where now I'm getting it on a grander scale. So that's really interesting. Your leadership (sighs) skills started young. At the time, you wouldn't have identified that as leadership development, as leadership skills, but really being the big brother, Mm -hmm. being the band captain, Mm -hmm. you know, all of these things were helping you to build that. I want to ask you some personal stuff. Can you tell me a little bit about your upbringing? 
where you were raised, by who. Tell me a little bit. Let's start there. I was an army brat. Both of my parents were in the army. Um, they both left the service while I was still young. And I spent majority of my life with my mom. My mom raised me for about 14 years in Daytona. I still spent a lot of time with my dad, especially during like the summer times and holidays. My dad was living in Jacksonville. So your parents were not married? They were married and then they divorced. When you were young? When I was young. Like I said, I was raised, my mom, single mom. She raised me and my oldest sister. And then at 14, when I went to high school, I moved with my dad to Jacksonville. And that was just a whole different experience. When I was with my mom, that was probably one of the more impactful when it comes to like self-esteem because sixth through eighth grade was probably the hardest years. I'm kind of coming into myself. You start looking at popularity a little different. You're going through puberty. You start to like girls. I started liking girls. and But then at that same time, you know, you got the other kids that are kind of like picking at you. They're teasing you. You've been bullied. You're going through that phase. So you experience that. You experience the bullying, being yes. teased. Yeah. Why is that? I look at you and I think, I can't imagine anybody messing with you. At this time, I was smaller than everyone. My mom, she lived in the projects. And I don't even know why that was such a big deal to people when it came to me. Because where we lived at in the projects, a lot of the kids that went to the school lived there as well. And then it didn't help that teachers also were in on it with the students. And some of them even gave names that the other students kind of adopted to calling me these names and stuff. So, I mean, it is what it is. That's hard because if nothing else, teachers are also supposed to be protectors. If the people that were supposed to protect you weren't doing that, and in fact, doing the opposite, Kids that age are tough, man. It sounds like it gave them permission to pick on you however they wanted to. And they did. And it happened. And it's crazy. I know your heart and I know your spirit. I know that you wouldn't go and stand over them and intimidate them. But you had to have at least thought about it. You had to have thought, man, it would feel good to give it back a little bit. No, honestly, it didn't. Not for me. Because it's not who I am. It's not in my nature. It's funny now, and I told my wife this some time ago. I said, it's funny the people that tease me and bullied me are the ones today reach out to me and ask me for advice, ask Mm -hmm. me for help on things, right? And with no hesitation, I help them. With no hesitation, I give them advice or whatever. Because was it cruel? Yes. Did it affect me in some manner? Yes, it did. But I still like those guys. I still have respect for them. Uh, Well, and I think that's who you are. I think that's who you are as a person. But also, I think what's important in what you just said is when you're young, all you can see is what's happening right Mm -hmm. then, right? And life can be really hard. Mm -hmm. But things do change. I mean, again, in your book, you talk about having such low self-esteem. Right. And there was no magic wand to change that. But the man I see that I'm speaking to right now is very different than that. Mm-hmm. So for people who may be listening to this, and maybe young kids will too, will listen to it. But this even happens 
in high school, in college, even in professional settings, there's somebody who gets picked on. So I think the fact that you lived through that, and if I'm not mistaken, that's what also lit the fire to do things like become a fitness expert Mm -hmm. and to teach and train people who are coming up to do all the things that you're doing now. Not that we want anybody to have to go through that, but for people who are going through that, maybe being bullied or given a hard time, that doesn't have to define you. Oh, I agree. Living with my dad was tough. Why was it tough? First off, it was a disappointment because everything I expected to happen didn't happen, right? So that was one. To me, I felt like when I visited my dad, I was held in high esteem. When I moved with my dad, I was pushed to the back room. You're now helping hands. Like if I need something to get done, you're doing it. You're going to be working out in the yard. He was getting his house worked on when I moved there that summer. I was the cleanup man. I was helping the, the contractors. Like my dad is selfish. My dad is stingy. I won't say he's stingy. He ain't buying you no clothes, no <laughs> shoes if you don't want to. I chuckle not because that's funny, but because I know your dad. And I know that he wouldn't be upset with you for saying these things. And he recognizes that these are things that happen to you. These are experiences that you had when you moved in with him. Yeah, my dad, he was like, no joke. And back then, from ninth grade up through college, dealing with my dad, I'm telling you, it was tough. My dad used to drop jewels on me. And I didn't never get it until now I'm an adult and I have my own kids, right? What do you mean? Um, what were those jewels? He used to say to me, son, if any of my kids are going to make it, it's going to be you. He said, because I'm going to put you through hell in this house so that one, you never come back and the world could never treat you any worse than I did. So I in doing all of those things and making you work with the contractors and do work and all of that, he really was giving you tough love and trying to toughen you up. Was he trying to make up for lost time? You were too soft living with your mom? No, it was way more than that. My dad did way more than that. That was just the summer of my ninth grade year. <laughs> oh, my dad did some things. Like, I won't go into, like, all the details or whatever. Like, I fought my dad. I threw hands with my dad. When I raised my kids, I talked to my son. I talked to them. I get them to understand why I want them to do something or why I'm telling them to do things this way. And I want them to understand why I'm telling them this, right? When my dad did stuff to me, he just did it. There was no trying to help me understand what lesson he was trying to teach me. It was none of that. He was just do it. When I turned 16, I got my first job at Burger King. I was already in the band. I can't believe it now. I wake up around 5, 5.30 to get ready for school, to go catch the bus around 6.15, right? School starts at 7.15, and it gets out at 2.15. From 2.15 to 5.15 was band practice. Then from 5.30 to 11 o'clock, I went to work, and work was right over the fence. I have no car, I have no ride home, so I have to walk home, right? From work to home would take me about an hour, hour 15 minutes to get home, to walk home, wow. right? 
Dad would never and you come didn't have anybody up. coming to pick you up? No, they would never come pick me up. So I would walk home. Now, mind you, my school and my job were right next to each other. I'm basically walking home from school <laughs> from 11. And sometimes I would close. Like, the restaurant closed at 11, but I'm helping the store close. So I'm probably not getting out of there to about 1130. So mm-hmm. I'm not getting home to almost one o'clock. When I go home one o'clock in the morning, I still have to do chores. Now, mind you, there's like five other kids in the house. They don't been home. My stepmom, she ran a daycare or she wasn't working. They were home. So right. they could clearly take care of all the chores, wash the dishes, clean the bathroom, back in the floors, do all the stuff at home. But no, I still had to come home. And if it was my turn to do the kitchen, the kitchen better be clean when my dad wakes up in the middle of the night. Bathroom better be clean. Floors better be vacuumed. Trash better be to the road if it's trash day. I still had to do all of those things and then get it in the bed, try to get enough rest to wake up and do it all over again. That was my life in high school. So you were not on a cell phone. You were on no social media. You were not sitting around scrolling during high school. And let me ask you, if you ever refused or talked back, what was the consequence? He's physical when he needs to be, when he felt like it was appropriate. But my dad was one of those, he messed with you psychologically. He didn't sleep much himself. And he used to tell me that, but I never understood it till now. He'll wait. Till I go to sleep. He knows when I'm home. He can hear me when I come in the house, but he'll wait. And he'll come wake me up when he knows I just nodded off. And he'll come wake me up and he'll be like, hey, get up. You ain't get this done. I want it done. And he made me get up and he'll make sure I get it done right. When I finally got a car in my senior year of high school, my dad would take the keys, would not let me drive my car. And when he got tired of me, he sold my car. If I wasn't doing the way he wanted done, he didn't felt like I was doing things right. He sold my car. That's when we started fighting. That's when we fought. But my dad was one of those that I don't care. Like, he don't care. He made my life so hard that now life is easy. So if your dad heard this podcast, heard you talking today, what do you think his reaction would be? He'll believe it. He was like, I know. He tells my siblings all the time. He tells anybody that he's talking to. When he talks about me specifically, it was like one person I don't have to worry about is Troy. He's one person I don't have to worry about because I don't put that boy through so much hell. He tells people I put that boy through so much hell that I know the world won't touch him. The world can't touch him. So are you grateful for that upbringing? I recently made a post on my Facebook and I said, thanks, Dad. Love the second. That's because as I'm teaching my kids, right, my wife sees it as well. There's nothing that y'all can do that I can't do by myself, by myself. I can run this whole house by myself if I wanted to. Since you were raised that way and you are so independent and strong, and clearly it's been at least part of who you are today, Would you use that same philosophy? Do you use that same philosophy with your boys? I know you have two young boys. I don't use that philosophy because the one thing that I wanted my dad to do was talk to me. That'd probably be the main thing. I'm not stupid. You can talk to me and help me to understand what it is you're trying to get me to understand. Now, on top of that, you can't talk to me and then neglect me. Like, you can't do that. That don't go together. 
Is that what happened? Is that how you were raised? That's how I felt. I felt like you want me to do what you want me to do. You want me to listen to you, but you don't want to do anything for me. That doesn't work for me. You still got to take care of me. If you were like supporting me in the means that I felt like I needed support at, and then you were trying to teach, then that's one thing. But you cannot just talk to me and expect me to listen and follow and then not be or not do what you say you were going to do. That doesn't work. You know what I just heard? I heard the reason you are the leader you are. Yes. You just talked about you can't abandon me. You can't have all these expectations for me, never be there for me and expect me to follow. Exactly. When we were talking about leadership, you talk about listening, being invested in how people are doing mentally, emotionally. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if maybe that's where that came from, was knowing what you were missing and making sure that you weren't doing that as a leader, number one. And number two, I have to wonder how many other people join the military, Not certainly not everybody, but join the military to sort of escape what their day-to-day is, to be able to do something different, to be able to grow, to become a leader, to develop a trade, to maybe just get away from the home environment. That ain't why I joined. <laughs> that ain't why I joined. <laughs> okay, so tell me why you did. Why did you join the Navy? While I was in college is when my best friend, his dad was in the Navy. And his dad kind of convinced him that, hey, he should go in the Navy. So my best friend called me during my first semester. And I was like, you know what? I will go take the ASVAB. And then Thanksgiving, around Thanksgiving break or whatever, I met with the recruiters and took the ASVAB and kind of saw what I was qualified for as far as jobs go. Once I left school, went to work full time, I realized that this wasn't going to be it. Like I was making like eight fifty an hour. I ended up moving back with my dad for a little bit before leaving there and kind of just living out of my car. I ended up just joining the Navy because it was my last resort. You also joined on your terms, not I did. on someone else's terms. I did. I did. I absolutely did. When I came in, I knew exactly what job I was going to do. I knew exactly what job I wanted to do. I'm doing the exact job that I intended to do when I came in. Everything that I planned to do. In the Navy, I did it. I went to school. I finished my schooling. I even went further than that, got my master's degree. I got the certifications and all the things that I do in the job that I wanted to do. So that skinny, short kid from the projects now is a senior chief Mm -hmm. in the Navy Mm -hmm. with a master's degree, Mm -hmm. married to a beautiful woman Mm -hmm. who, by the way, Asked you on the first date, right? Sure, sure did. <laughs> sure did. And you have two beautiful children. Let yep. me ask you, who has mm-hmm. been the most influential person in your life? My dad. I, I tell you why. Regardless of what he did and how I felt about him and all the stuff that I went through with him, I can't tell you there's not a day where I don't do or say something. And I'd be like, that's my dad. If somebody's listening to this right now mm-hmm. and they hear what you said, what your dad made you do, that he took your car away, he didn't help you, and they go, that is the right way. We're too easy on kids now. We need to be tough like Troy's dad. 
What do you say to that father? That's ridiculous. Well, hey, hey, look how you turned out. You turned out good. My dad, he only stepped in at the age of 14, right? Full time. He had the most impact because there's little things that I notice about myself, notice little things that I do. My mindset, it comes from my dad. I can see that you even speak like him at times. And I realized that too. I'd be like, dang, that's my dad. And that's not a bad thing. <laughs> That's not a bad thing. Your dad has done a lot. He's accomplished a lot. So that's not a bad thing. But that's not the way you want to raise your kids. And we can leave it at that. I wanted to know what you thought about that, like, very hard line parenting, right? Because I hear so frequently, these kids these days, they need a good ass whooping. Mm -hmm. They need somebody to take a switch to them. They Mm -hmm. need a belt taken to them. Again, I feel like I feel like the more intelligent individuals know how to connect with those, no matter what generation they're from, right? You have to know how to connect with them, know how to talk to them. Now, they're not going to do everything the way we want them to do it. They're not going to do everything the way we did it back when we were their age and so on and so forth. Like the path and the walk is always going to be different. My thing is, is figuring out a way to connect and get them to understand, which is why I tell my kids, I tell them my story. I tell them, you know, back then when my, when I was going through this same thing, this is what my dad did. But I felt like if he had done it this way, maybe I will understand better. I am doing it to you this way because I feel like I can talk to you and maybe you will just understand me. Something you talk about in your book that you're open about is that you had therapy. So maybe some of that stuff, besides making you who you are, Mm -hmm. it also costs you a fair amount. Mm -hmm. And you went to therapy. So first of all, I have to say that's a big deal for me because for whatever reason, there is still a stigma attached to seeking therapy. and especially being male Mm -hmm. and especially being a black male. I don't think that it's something that most young men forget being black, whatever color, young men, even older men turn to right away. But you talk about it. You talk about therapy and really going through issues with your self-esteem. You talk about that having such an impact. So can you share a little bit about why you did that. Maybe not like the circumstances, but what made you choose to seek help outside yourself? If it's been like untreated or you have issues that are kind of like buried, it affects everything around you. For me, it was affecting my relationship. It was your relationship with your wife? Yes, and with my kids. I couldn't see the value within myself. So. The therapy that you had, did it help with that? And how do you feel about yourself now? So I will tell you, therapy, it helps, but it never stops. It's not a magic wand. It doesn't stop at all. Because I can't tell you that after I went to therapy, like everything magically got better. It didn't, right? It got bearable. Therapy helped kind of switch my mindset a little bit on top of the fitness 
returning to church. I had to go through both the mental, the physical, and the spiritual aspect of therapy. And I'm still going through it. But now I kind of live like there is no tomorrow. I want to do all the things that I wanted to do and desire to do before my true expiration date comes. And that's when the good Lord comes and take me away, not when I end it prematurely. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to tell you right now, hearing you talk about that is certainly emotional. And like you said at the beginning, you and I have not spent a lot of time together because we're in different places. Your uncle and I got divorced. Lots of reasons. But I love you, Troy Johnson. And I have loved you since you were a little boy. And I want to tell you how important it is to me that you made the decision to stay. It's so important to me that you're here sharing your story with me. And I thank you for sharing that deeply personal story because there may be somebody who listens to this someday that says, man, he went through it. He was way up there. He was a senior chief. He was this, that he still struggled with this. And I thank you for choosing to stay because I will tell you, my life wouldn't be the same if you weren't here. And I know before we started recording, I shared with you that I have a cousin who's three months older than my son, who is close to your age, mm-hmm. served in Afghanistan and took his life. He could not continue on. And I will say my perspective has changed. He tried. You think of immediate family members, right? Mm-hmm. But I will tell you, I know exactly where I was sitting when I got the phone call. Mm-hmm. And if you don't think that that anniversary, that I don't remember that every single year that goes by, Mm -hmm. that decision did affect more than just the immediate family. We have a huge family and every single one of us is changed and impacted because of that. So I so appreciate you talking about that because we know soldier suicide is a huge issue. We know that people think about it. For every person who's done it, people have thought about it and attempted Mm -hmm. it. So therapy is not a magic bullet. It's not a magic wand, but it does provide tools and perspective to be able to look at, like you said, you got things you want to do. And in your book, you talk about, I'm going to have you say it. I've heard people say, we all have an expiration date. How do you talk about that? Just how you said it. So I talk about the uniform. In the book, when I talk about expiration date, I say your uniform is going to expire because we're contracted for a period of time. And that's it. You got to move on in the military. So I always tell them, hey, take advantage of all the opportunities you can before your uniform expires. Get all that you can Mm -hmm. get from the military because they're going to get all they can get from you. That's good advice. So do it before your expiration date. But now when we bring it to life, Right. And I see just going through the things that I've gone through and looking at a lot of the things that I struggled with or whatever. Yeah, there's an expiration date on life. When you look in hindsight, you only have a short period of time on earth, right? I don't care if it's a a hundred years is not that long. So your fitness, which by the way, it's a company and you have a name. Yes. You want to share what that is? So it's addictive fit. Where can people find out information about your fitness stuff? Okay, Addictive Fit. So A-D-D-I-C-T-I-V, fit.com. 
if you could right now go back and talk to that little boy, if you could talk to Troy Johnson Jr. at 10 years old, what would you say to him? Like, boy, wait till the world see you. You think this is something, boy. Wait till the world get to know who you are. Wait till they get to know who you are. You have no idea what you're capable of. The people that you're so worried about liking you, wait till you become the person that you are. You ain't going to care if they like you or not. Because you're going to be that guy. (laughs) So let me ask you this. If there happens to be a young 10-year-old, 12-year-old, I don't care, 20-year-old listening to you right now, and they are where you were from the projects, Mm -hmm. family split apart, got moved from one family member to another, felt low self-esteem. What do you say to that person, male or female, about what they can accomplish? I would tell them, the only person that put limitations on you is you. I've sat in your seat. I told myself that too. I'm poor. I don't have the money to do that stuff. Hmm. Okay. Been there, done that. We give ourselves the excuse, no one else. No one made the excuse for me. I made it for myself. I just limited myself. So having said that, if you can make the excuse for yourself, you can also make the out for yourself. You sure can. What does it take? Takes you first. You. A belief in yourself? It takes you. It takes you wanting it right off the bat. If you want it, that's all you need. If you want it. Now, the different obstacles in the paths you take, it's going to be different for everyone. But if you want it, if you want it and you want it bad enough, as long as you don't give up on wanting that thing or wanting to make that thing happen, you can make it happen. So all I have to do is want it and then life is easy. No, absolutely not. That's probably the big misconception. It's never going to be easy. That's why I thank my dad. It hasn't been easy, but because I want it so bad, those lessons that I learned earlier on, those lessons and those trials that he put me through, if I made it through that, I know I can make it through anything. It hasn't been easy. You've accomplished something, you feel good about it, and then Along the road, there are bumps, there are obstacles, there are naysayers, Mm -hmm. right? And it sounds to me like what you're saying is, if you want to get to a better place than where you're at now, you keep at it, you keep at it, you keep moving forward, you keep going over that obstacle, and you don't expect that one day it's going to get easy. You expect that there are going to be really, really good times in life really good Mm -hmm. times. But damn it, they're going to be some really hard times. And when you get past that hard time, there might be another one right behind it. But you know you could get through it. You know what I tell my sailors? This is what I tell my guys. To this day, I tell them this. Take the hard job. Take the hard job. Let me tell you why. There's a different level of respect for someone who takes on the harder tasks or take on the jobs that seem impossible or take the jobs that nobody else wants. When I stepped on my first ship, this is how I developed respect from like subordinates as well as leaders. So yes, my job, I work on computers and from the Navy side of the house, your job is considered like cushy, right? You work in an air conditioned space, you sit in a chair, you sit behind a desk, you don't get dirty, right? You probably have like the cleaner uniforms in the Navy. The dirty jobs are the people that paint the ships, paint the decks, 
working the galley, so they cooking the food, washing dishes, so on and so forth, right? Those are the guys that have the tough jobs in the Navy. So you know what I do? When I was at E2, I volunteered to go paint. We need somebody to go help the painting team. Me, I got it. I'll go do it. Hey, they send up, we call it food service attendants. They go out and they help the cooks in the galley, in the kitchen, and wash dishes, serve food, so forth, right? One of the hardest jobs, the job that nobody wants to do in the kitchen is wash the dishes, the pots and the Mm -hmm. pans. It's Mm -hmm. so many food is stuck in it, whatever. It's dirty, it's wet. No one wants to do it. I'll do it. Let me do it. Y'all take care of all of this stuff over here. Don't worry about the job no one else do it. I'll do it. Let me tell you what that has done for me. Taking those hard jobs, it brought a different level of respect, right? If I can get the hard jobs done, the easy jobs are nothing. The Mm -hmm. tedious jobs are nothing. You take the hardest task, take it, volunteer for it, go through it. There's a different level of respect for those who take on the hardest of the toughest jobs. Would you trust a Sonata to carry a load of bricks through the mountain? Or would you trust a Toyota Tundra that you know is built to carry those bricks through the mountain? Which one are you going with? I'm going with the Toyota Tundra. It's built for it. So when you as a person take on those mm. tough jobs, people You've see already you shown. built for it. Right. You've shown them you're built for it. Yeah. And by the way, Toyota does not at this time yeah. <laughs> sponsor this podcast. <laughs> You felt grown when you were in your 20s, didn't you? I did. You're building experience. You're building up on who you're becoming. But you cannot allow for these certain patterns to continue to seep into your 30s. Because 20s go quick. 20s go quick. And then you're 30. And I use my 20s to my advantage, you know, to be active, get active, doing things while I had the mindset to do it, finishing school. You are building up. The thing with investing is time, right? That Mm -hmm. what makes investing investing is time. So taking everything that I was learning from my teenage years, I learned with my dad, I took it into my 20s. My 20s is what was helping me build. And with that, that's talking to those that are older, those with a little more wisdom. What are some things you wish you had done when you was my age or some things that you wish you had put more focus and attention on or whatever? Like my in-laws, when I bought my first house, sat down with my father-in-law. I said, hey, what is something you wish you had done financially? you done better or you wish you had done or um, whatever. He said, I wish I understood investing more, like investing my money. From that point on, I'm like, okay, hey, you know, I started talking to whoever I could talk to that knew how to invest money and stuff. So now I understand investing. I understand that. I invest a lot. And more than just money, but investing into people and stuff like that, because that also has a value. Don't let currency be the only thing that's of value. Relationships okay. are valuable. In my podcast, I found that there are times where I want to hit rewind mm-hmm. and say that again. And so that is extremely important, what you just said. Can you say that again about investments? What needs to be invested in? What's the most important? To me, people. Isn't that part of leadership too? 
It is. But it's you a have threat. a responsibility to invest yeah. in to those your people. people. The return on that investment, when you truly invest in people, the return is not always, but most of the time it's loyalty, it's commitment, it's working harder together, it's helping the people grow, helping the people underneath you grow. And if they outgrow you, fantastic. That's the mark of a true leader. And none of that you mentioned currency at all. There's no currency involved in that. Currency meaning money, 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 dollars and cents, currency. Yes. Yeah, I tell my sailors today, I, I tell anybody this because I actually told a friend of mine this as well. I said, hey, everywhere you go, everything that you do, any interaction where you have somebody, that's an interview. That is mm-hmm. an interview. To me, the best interviews and the most valuable interviews are the ones that are not sitting in front of a panel of individuals applying for a job. Your interview could be just as simple as coming in and doing your job. You are respectful. When you speak to other people, there's more than one way when you're interviewing, but it's an investment into yourself and how you carry yourself and how you present yourself or whatever. Even on social media, how you present yourself online is an interview. All this leads back into an investment into yourself. Think about it like an interview, the way you greet somebody or don't, Mm -hmm. the way you interact with somebody or don't. Mm-hmm. The way you speak in your day-to-day conversations. I think that's an important point that if people consider that in everything they do, they are representing themselves and interviewing with the person who is standing across from them, they're getting an impression. That's really good information. Okay, just a couple more things. First, how do you stay grounded? How do you stay humble? My family. My family, because one, I feel like I do this for them, especially my sons. I want them to see what they can achieve, what they can be through me. What do you want your boys to learn from you? I want them to know that they can do anything they want to do. And they have, one, the means to do it. They have the support to do it. And it's okay to fail at something that they tried as long as they don't give up completely. What's next for Troy Johnson Jr.? I am going to go to comedy school. That I am going to do. And I'm looking to do that here in the next couple of months. That is one. But I'm going to continue to build on what I've already accomplished thus far, right? I'm looking at continuing to expand my businesses. I'm definitely looking at becoming one of the top event photographers in the area. Probably teach some other young entrepreneurs how to get started in their own businesses and companies and stuff like that. And I'm going to tell you, anybody who contact me and you talk to me about business, you better be ready to hear the hard truths and you better be a good professional at what you already do. I don't like it when people who are not professional in their jobs now want to start a business. It is a lot harder. There's a lot more discipline and professionalism and all that stuff that's required to run your own business. But I do want to help other young entrepreneurs. And I just want to, you know, be a good role model and citizen in my community. And hey, possibly maybe run for city council or mayor. That's why I got to get my public speaking together. (laughs) There you go. I know with you, 
There is nothing that you can't do, but I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. Right, right. And I can't wait to see what else you do because you know I'll be watching. Yes, ma'am. Absolutely. If anybody wants to find you, we'll have your contact information and your website in the show notes. So I would encourage anybody who wanted to speak with Troy to reach out to him. Troy, thank you so much for your time today, spending it with us and man, being real, being real about what you've been through and how you've gotten through that and how much more you've got to go. I appreciate your time. Absolutely. Anytime, please feel free to reach out anytime. I'm just here taking it up in Virginia Beach until it's time for me to roll on. Doing your thing. Yes, ma'am. Every 11 minutes in the U.S., someone loses their life to suicide. Yet when surveyed, 94% of adults said they believe suicide can be prevented. If you or someone you know is having a mental health crisis, there is immediate help. Dial 988 to reach the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. Friend, you are important. You matter. 